That was good. I, I would hate to have had to kill him. <laughs> there is a lot of people in here. My name is Chris Raymond. We're very grateful recovered alcoholic. I got to thank Robert and Danny and everybody that had anything to do with putting this thing together, guys. This is this is the bomb. Uh, what a crowd! Everybody that was cooking back there. I kept looking and says, guys, this. Somebody better start cooking back there because there's a bunch of people. And, uh, and there's still food back there. I don't know where it came from, but uh, they did a hell of a job. Give them a big hand for the food. It was, it was pretty good. We, uh, I also want to thank my wife for driving me over here. I work in, in West Palm part-time. I'm, I'm administrator for a hospital. And, and so I worked up there for a couple of days, and, and Patty was driving because she's a Yankee girl, and she knows how to drive in Florida. <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to be disrespectful because I love Florida, but do they tell you when you get here that, that turn signals are not okay? <laughs> and that you need to go really, really... Effing fast. <laughs> Try it one eye with one eye sometime. I, I'll just throw that out there. <clears throat> God, even driving slow looks like you're going down a tunnel, and you got these guys coming up both like, "Oh God, that's pretty good." I'm. Uh, she's my chauffeur anyway. Half the time she's driving. She drives way better than I drive. So, I um. Guys, I want to share a little bit. I'm watching the clock closer than you guys are. I got you for, I'll, I'll try to keep this less than an hour. Uh, unlike some of my peers out there that seem to think it's okay to talk for two hours, I think after that meal, y'all are going to be sleeping anyway, so what the hell. <laughs> this room's going to get hot, and it's okay if we hear your little head, you know, knock on the table. Just take a little nap. It's okay. I just, I want to tell you going in the door, I started doing this a bunch of years ago, and I stopped getting beat up outside. Guys, I'm going to share my experience with you tonight. My experience may be different than your experience, and that's just, God, that's just the way it is. I mean, lots of ways to do this. I don't care. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I'm just, if the guy sitting next to you is a meeting maker, make it kind of guy, I'm not. And it's okay. Whatever they're doing is working. I just had an old-timer one time say, if you, <laughs> he was pretty clear about it. He says, if you want criticism in Alcoholics Anonymous, do anything. <laughs> it's just, you, you guys love me to death. Right up in time, I, until I say something you don't agree with, and then I'm in a, a complete... <laughs> Quit! I gotta tell you real quick, we were... I tell, tell the story a lot, but uh, when we were in Atlanta uh, uh, at the International uh, a few years back, and where I got to meet some of y'all in here, and it was we had a great time, and we were leaving at Sunday morning, and, and uh, going back to the airport, we're on a little trolley, and get in, it's real crowded, and, and, and this lady gets in, you know, we were supposed to be anonymous, right? You know, everybody comes. In. There was nobody anonymous about Jack there, you know, we had big hats on with balloons and AA, and it was just like, oh my god. And this lady gets on and says, she's an older lady, an elderly woman. She gets in like that. And I get up to give her my seat. And see, she's sitting down. And I'm sitting there. And she's got her little new one, you know, on the crook of her arm, you know. And says, obviously got her a little new new, new pigeon. And, you know, how cool is that? And I'm sitting there smiling. And she said, now remember, honey, don't get overwhelmed. All you got to do is work one step a year. That's all you got to worry about. And, of course, I'm watching this lady. And Patty's watching me because she thinks I'm close enough to thump her in the head. You know? <laughs> And it, but I didn't, you know, because it dawned on me at that time, this lady 
loves Alcoholics Anonymous. That piece of advice would have killed me. But it seems to be working for a lot of people. I'm not up here to jam this stuff on anything. I'm a big book thumper, unabashed. I just want to share my experience with you. Y'all good? Let's go. <laughs> Never again. I uh, raised, uh, we were born out in West Texas, my twin brother and I, and uh, two sisters. And my father was a printer, one of the finest men you'd ever come across. And he, he had him a little drinking problem. And, uh, but he was the sweetest man. He never, I never saw him raise his, his voice or his hand to anyone. He was just kind to craftsmen and a uh, wonderful guy. Uh, genetically, my twin brother and I, we caught that old bullet. And um, my two sisters have never had a problem drinking. Um, some of y'all heard me talk about it before. It just, they freaked me out. They still to this day, we go to Christmas, they'll be over there with those stupid mimosas and, you know, cheers. And they'll take a couple of sips and set it down. And like, and we're watching, you know, I was like, it's free. Drink up. What? Up? <laughs> I've seen my little sister a thousand times. She'll say, no, thank you. I'm starting to feel it. It's like, no, she, me too. Uh, let's, let's go. You know, she's just she's not cut out of the same same family. No goofy stuff going on. Front row of the Baptist church every time the door opened. You guys, we just caught the bullet. That's just the nature of the beast. And uh, I'm a little skinny guy, and and uh, got hit in the eye with a rock when I was 11, and um, uh, and that's why I drink. <laughs> I, I crack me up. You know, I just, there's, a, there's close to 18,000 treatment centers in this country as of today. 18,000 treatment centers. And most of them are telling people that that's why they drink. I'm just throwing it out there, guys. We're losing the race. Uh, I... Uh, I was a, I wanted to be in a food business. I was a little busboy up there in Kerrville, Texas. It was about 1971, January, uh, the, the month that Bill Wilson passed away. I took my first drink, bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. Yeah. You know, feel the love. I get that same response all anywhere I talk, except Europe. They've never had Boone's Farm. I don't know what y'all. It's I know, some of you are shaking your head. Oh, it's terrible. You'll hallucinate on that stuff. I mean, I, I don't know. If you didn't like it, you just didn't drink enough of it. Some of you little knuckleheads in here that are going to relapse again. Next time, get you a bottle of that. Don't spill it, because it won't come off anything you spill it on. There ain't a grape in it. I know for a fact. It's chemicals of some kind. I don't know. But But I remember sitting up next to that big old 700-year-old cypress tree in Kerrville, Texas, and and I remember drinking that little... It was a little bottle, one of these little small, little little goddamn... And I... I shared it with a friend of mine. He says, I don't want any more. It tastes like crap. And I says, it tastes pretty bad. It sure does. You don't want any more of this, correct? Because <laughs> I had just enough to hit my bloodstream. And I'm, I'm going to, okay. And I drank it, guys. And i got to tell you, I walked back across. The, I'll never forget it. Walked, that was a whole bunch of years ago. Walked back across that big old field, big old full moon up there in that cold uh, January night. And, I, and I, I understood immediately why my father drank. I was, just, I was perfectly okay in my skin. I was... I was right for the first time. First time I ever took a deep breath, I think. I, 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 don't, I didn't get drunk. I didn't rob a liquor store. I didn't take my clothes off. I, I, I thought about it, but I didn't. 
I didn't. I didn't. And uh, I got in the food business. I was a little busboy, and I kept seeing the cooks back there, and they're wearing their big old white hats, and they're all drinking on the job. And, and rumor has it, I think we're all adults in here, rumor has it that some of those cooks back there with the big white hats were actually having sex with other people. I mean, I, and I, I don't know, you know. I want to be a cook. Oh, damn. <laughs> And I was pretty talented, guys. I got to tell you, they let me come in and I got an apprenticeship program in Houston and I got to be, I was one of the youngest sous chefs out there in some of these big hotels. And, and it was, I was pretty, when alcohol worked for me, it, it were good. You know, it, you couldn't touch me. I mean, that's back in the disco era, guys. I mean, John Travolta, you know, got a little suit on, got some high shoes about that high, you know. you. T- <sighs> I've tried to tell Patty a thousand times, I was smoking. Hot. Maybe, maybe not. I, uh, I, I, I drank and, and later in the seventies did some drugs. Uh, I swore I was one of those guys that was not going to do any drugs because drugs are illegal and you don't need to do that. And you know, until I had a boss that didn't want me to drink on the job anymore. And so I'm back there by the dumpster. What are you doing? These are horse tranquilizers. <laughs> you had some of them horse tranquilizers, haven't you? I mean, really? Come on! I'm going like, really? No kidding? What? Are they, what? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting behind the line. Orders in. I'm just back there. <laughs> I didn't do horse tranquilizers at work. No more. He'll just knock you right on your butt. But, right. In and out, I'm already trying to do different things. I ended up going to Atlanta, Georgia for a period of time because I was trying to stay out of trouble in Texas. And, and then nine months later, I came back. And, you know, any of you guys ever done a geographic? You know, and that's I, I joke with Patty. I still drive a pickup because you never know. You know, when you might need to load up and leave, you know. God, dang. Late... Um, God, I don't know how to tell you guys. I, there had so many years when alcohol worked for me, and I used to party a lot, and we were just doing all the crazy stuff that we do. But the depression was kicking my butt, and I ended up seeing the, uh, doctors in Houston for depression for years. And I'm on all kinds of medications. Uh, it's one of those deals: is the chicken or the egg? You know, which came first? And it's like, Chris, you're drinking because you're depressed. Like, no shit. Okay, really? But who knew that alcohol was a depressant? You know, I, I don't know. But I mean, I, on top of everything else, I'm just I'm not doing real well, and. Uh, I'm uh, I'm in therapy a whole bunch, and I'm on a whole bunch of medications. And uh, uh, I ended up making a deal with uh, God one night that I would uh, I quit drinking and clean up my act if uh, He'd let me marry this girl in Houston. She was a nice girl. And I hear people I talk about it from the podium sometimes. I make it sound like she was some kind. She was a sweetheart. She was a, she damn sure deserved better than me. And uh, I. I Turns out, a few weeks later, we're married. And uh, you know how God works. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. You know? I'm like, what the hell? And uh, I mean, I laugh about it. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. I mean, I, I still got my tux in the closet, and I, have, I need to return it. And she's in there shoveling them Cheerios in her mouth, and I'm thinking, God, if you could just kill this woman, everything would be okay. You know? <laughs> I see these little issue pins around. I keep thinking if I could just order, get the right job, the right girl, the right town, the right car, everything. My, my twin brother calls it the Holy Trinity. Pickup truck, job, girl. If I could get all three of those things, it's just, you're, we're going to be golden. The deal is, I've had those things. 
the deal is I've had those things lots of times, you know, and, and what didn't change was the stuff inside, of course. And uh, uh, I got in a pushing match with her. This was early 80s, and, and uh, I don't even remember what the fight was about. We were up in North Texas, and I came home from the kitchen, and we had an argument about something, and I shoved her. And um, we don't do that. I'm raised in te- West Texas church. I, it's not okay under any circumstances. And it embarrassed me to death, and I scared me, and scared her, and I left. And a few hours later, I came back in, and she let me back in, and, and uh, she said, "What? What was?" Since I was loaded, I'd done some cocaine at work. I was drinking too much, and I, I'm. And she, uh, she said, "If you want to stay married, you'll quit." And I said, "Okay." And I went to the bedroom. There's a couple of things in this story, guys, I've always got to tell them this is one of them. When I looked her in the face and said I was going to quit, I meant it. I'm always getting somebody come up laughing. <laughs> yeah, you alcoholics, if your mouth's moving, you're lying. You know, you can bite my ass. <laughs> I'm trying to be as respectful as I can. You know, that's not true. There's a lot of us, guys, because I work in the industry. I watch a lot. I mean, there's not a, how, any of us in here that had gone in the bathroom, shut the door by ourselves, looked at ourselves in the medicine cabinet, went to the, the glass and, and with tears in our eyes saying, I have got to stop this. And you go back out and you tell your kids or you tell your wife or significant other that you're going to quit. You mean it. What I didn't understand is that I didn't have the power to manage the decision to stay stopped. It's what drives me crazy when people in AA say, just don't drink. What a, why didn't I think of that? Oh my God. Oh my God. Anyway, I went to AA the next day trying to save that marriage and, and the, the nicest people, like I said, I, there were some beautiful people in there and they loved me to death and, you know, beat me on the cheek and told me I'm the most important person in my, and I picked up desire chip for seven years. Ne- never picked up a 30-day chip. I'm not knocking those groups, guys. I'm not pleased. I'm not taking their inventory. What they were doing was working great for them. But if going to a meeting is all you need to keep you sober... You might not be me. I don't know what to tell you. I, Bill Wilson, there's three places in the book, the beautiful book, Alcoholics Anonymous. There's, th- there's three places in there. Bill Wilson, there's actually more than that, but he sorts it out. He talks about different types of drinkers. In Chapter of the Wives, there's a solution he talks about. But, I mean, it gets pretty clear. Moderate drinker, hard drinker. But what about the real alcoholic? You want to start? You want to set people's heads spinning? I go to some of these meetings. You think I, I do it when I introduce myself as a recovered alcoholic? Introduce yourself as a real alcoholic. Somebody will come up and take exception with that. What you think you're special? <laughs> yes. God, I ended up. Uh, <laughs> All those years later, I'm working for my twin brother. I can't cook anymore. I'm, I'm an accredited chef. I've got a license. I mean, I've, I've got papers to show I know what I'm doing in the kitchen. And I still do. Don't I, baby? <clears throat> and I, as long as you like chili, I'm, I got it. Uh, but I'm doing okay. Uh, but I'm, I, I'm working for my twin brother. And uh, thank God for family. And uh, I go home one night, and I picked up a stack of return check at my little apartment. I live by myself. Not a good idea for an alcoholic. And, but nobody wants to be around me. Y'all follow? There's no girlfriend. There's no friends. I got a no address book. I've just I pushed everybody away. And uh, I picked up that stack of return checks and went and opened them and bounced another goddamn rent check. And I'm going to have to go to the bank and borrow some money from my sister-in-law one more time. Guys, I'm 35 years old. 
and I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. I'm living in a town I don't want to be in. I've got an old beat up pickup truck. I, I just, it's like one of those deals. It's like, is this all there is? I got, I got nothing. And I took a couple of bottles of pills and tried to off myself. And uh, about the time those pills hit my stomach, I heard a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA. This wasn't a thought. I, I got emails from all over the world, guys, people said, I heard the same voice. Sometimes it was a woman's voice. Sometimes it was a guy's voice. But guys, I think a lot of guys, have, of us in this room, in this gathering, have been intervened in one way or another. This was not a thought. Perhaps you should give Alcoholics Anonymous. This was a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA. Don't know. Could have been the guy's vacuum cleaner. I don't know. I, I don't know. I made myself sick, laid down on the side of the bed like that, made a commitment to go back to AA the next day. And uh, woke up the next day and uh, went to a doctor, I'm detoxing like a big dog, and went back to work. And at 6 o'clock, I walked in the back door of an AA meeting I'd never been to before. This old, this old geezer had 12-stepped me one night and had come and got me. I, was, I had a blackout. And uh, I'm not a big blackout guy. But I... Woke up someplace I wasn't supposed to be. Didn't know how I got there. And he came and got me and took me to this meeting. He said, and I wouldn't go in. But he says, if you ever want to go to this meeting, this is a big book meeting. Take a book in there because these guys are, are talking steps. And I told him, great. Made a mental note. I will never go into that meeting ever. <laughs> I don't need a bunch of religious zealots helping me get sober. You know, I know how to do this. I'm going to be all right. And uh, But it just so happened that meeting was between me and the Kentucky Fried Chicken in my apartment. All right, and I'm detoxing, and I'm figuring that I'm going to go back and let them know I'm coming back to Alcoholics Anonymous so y'all can relax. <laughs> and I pulled in the back door because this is anonymous, and I don't want anybody to know. I mean, if you could see that pickup truck I was driving. Come on, guys. There was a window broken out. It leaned on one side. It just looked like a big whiskey dent with a license plate stuck to its <laughs> Nobody knows I'm an alcoholic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought I was being real cagey about it. I found out you know, months later that my mom had me on the prayer list of every church in North Texas. <laughs> There's that one I got. There he is. <laughs> I stepped in the back door of this smoky AA meeting, these long six-foot tables. I say it, I remind these new guys, sitting out watching y'all smoke those vapes out there earlier. I mean, I, we ruined it for you because you used to be able to smoke in every meeting out there. There wasn't any non-smoking meetings. And back when I got sober in 1987, you could smoke in every meeting out there. We just screwed it up for you because we couldn't smoke one cigarette in an hour. We had to smoke six cigarettes at one time, you know? <laughs> no, really. I, I mean, we look like a damn porcupine. All those cigarettes sticking out. Don't ever kind of remember to desire not to drink, you know. <laughs> and I walk in, everybody's everybody's laughing just like we're doing in here, and the lady was laughing over here, and I got you know how it is when you're kind of anxious anyway, and you're a little, little nervous. I, I'm a little nervous anyway. I, I just and I got in, I got real self conscious, and I was just freaked out, and I didn't know everything was. Checking my zipper, checking my patch, making sure I look okay because I've got a big old nasty beard like Bart. Oh my God, it's just <laughs> food's always stuck in it. And I was like, oh my God. And I knew they were laughing at me and I just, I didn't want to be laughed at. I'm detoxing. I'm less than 24 hours away from that suicide attempt. I'm going home. And I took a step back and I can't, this is the other piece I can't not tell. There was a little 18 year old girl that got up and stuck her finger in my belt loop. She said, sit down, cowboy, you're not going anywhere. 
She sat me down in a chair. Her sponsor was across the way and couldn't get to me. She was, she was an older lady. She said, get him. But see, this little girl understood her primary purpose. And it wasn't that... Well, I get emails from all over the world. Guys, I've been doing this for years. Well, you know in England, men sponsor men and women sponsor... This lady didn't sponsor me. She stopped me from leaving the damn room. Yeah. Do you all understand how God works in that? If this guy had come up and said, sit down, cowboy, you're not going anywhere. I'd have... Cowboy this. I'd have punched him in the nose and I'd have left. I'm going to say, guys, stop second guessing who you think God is going to use to help you. Because you're nine times out of ten, you're going to be wrong. We always think we got this figured out. You know, I'm going to hear the answer from them. Uh-uh. It ain't going to be the guru with 30 years. It might be that little, little kid with six months that's on fire with a, with a solution. Pay attention. Just say it. She sat me down in a chair like I got me a little paper cup like we're drinking out of nine. I'm squeezing coffee out faster than they can pour it. You know, I'm just I'm shaking like a leaf. And, oh my God! The chairperson saw me up there. She knew me and says, "Man, let's go around and tell Chris how we how we how our lives had changed as a result of working the steps." Guys, I'm going to tell you guys. I spent seven years in meetings where they said, "Let's tell Chris how we got here." I know, guys, they're called ID meetings. Okay, that's fine. A little bit of that goes a long way, though. But I'm just trying to tell you, guys. The more you talk, the more information you give me to separate me from, from being an alcoholic. Bill Wilson's crystal clear in these pages about the physical craving and the mental obsession. The symptoms is what ties us all together. That's what he's saying up there in the front of the book. We've got a common problem, but we've got a common solution, and that's what ties us together. But the common problem for the young and for the old is the same. Physical craving, mental obsession. It's not how many drunk driving charges you had or how many times you ended up getting picked up for vagrancy or eating out of dumpsters. I'm not knocking that. From Friday night, you better have a story. Damn it, you better have a good one. Make up some stuff. <laughs> Nobody's going to check it anyway. What the hell? <laughs> Tell your story, guys. If you're going to do a 12-step call, you better have a story. That's what Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob did. They shared some stories. In a 15-minute meeting, it turned out to be five hours. You know, and they're, I mean, they're back and forth. That's what we do in a 12-step call. But guys, we're sitting in the same meeting over and over, and you've got a newcomer coming in, and we're going to go around and try to scare this person into recovery. If I say anything from the podium that's controversial, that's what it is. I'm not knocking your story. I'm not saying we shouldn't share it. I'm trying to say, if you think for a second that that's going to get somebody to stay... I've never once in my 30 years of sobriety had anybody email me or call me and said, I remember you talking about eating out of dumpsters and I stopped myself from drinking. <laughs> but I've had a whole bunch of people thank me for sharing some hope with them. You guys, that's what I needed. I'm, I mean, literally less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt, ready to give up on everything. And these people went around and they talked about getting their credit cards back and going back to school and, and doing some cool... Just They were pulling me, like the book says, with a vision of what life could be like in sobriety, in real recovery, being on some solid ground, doing the cool stuff, buying houses, and just doing the stuff that I didn't think was ever going to happen. I'll never forget, there's a lady at the end of the table, she had a sketch pad and she was drawing some stuff and she'd gone back to school and was studying art and I'm a big art fan, I'm completely talentless myself, but I'm a big art fan and I'm thinking, God, that would be so cool to be able to do that. All you got to do is stay sober a day at a time, go kick some butt, go back to school. 
at the end of a meeting, the guys got around me and they started talking to me about, uh, they said, Chris, can you sit with us for a few minutes and, and where's your big book? I said, I don't have a big book. I don't know where it was. They get some treatment center gave me one, I guess. They opened theirs and they said, can you sit with us for just about 15 minutes? Let's just, we got to find out why you can't stay sober. They watched me up in North Texas pick up hundreds of desire chips. and said, why, what, what's up? And I immediately wanted to start telling them about the woman or this or that or the other. We've all got trump cards we can throw down. You get close enough to me, I can back you up. You follow? All i got to do is start talking about the bad thing and you'll shut up and back up. Oh, okay, and leave. And this guy, they weren't having it. Chris, answer the questions about the circle triangle. This is before we lost it out of the book. They stopped putting it in the, in the, in the uh, subsequent editions, but... 90, I think, what, 93 is when they finally took it out. But they said recovery, unity, and service. They asked me if I was working all steps. I'm working the steps to the best of my ability. That means no. <laughs> my old sponsor, Mark, used to say that. Chris, this is a yes or no question. Have you? Have you done all three inventories? Have you made your amends? Are you working? No. What about unity? Meeting makers make it. Okay. I'll give you that one. What about service? Well, uh, uh, they exit. it. What? Chris, how many people have you sponsored in seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous? How many people have you worked with? None. I can't even help anybody else. How can I help myself? Oh, my God. No wonder I can't stay sober. Y'all understand that, guys? Victims don't stay sober. Victimized people stay sober every day. Big difference. I said, shit. He said, Chris, if you'll come up with us and let us work you through the steps, we'll show you how to get well. We'll, we'll, we'll help you do this. But we're going to do it like the big book says, with some speed on it. We're not going to sit around and wait for you to do this. I, I, it's, if, if we're making any mistake in Alcoholics Anonymous today, it's that we're going too damn slow with the newcomer. It's like a clock starts ticking. I set the booze down, and there's just there's a window... There's a period of time, they call it the pink cloud, when you've got your feet on the ground and the obsession seems to go away and you can, and you can you do okay. But when that window closes and the obsession comes back, you're going to get loaded. And then they're just going to scrape it off and blame you. I knew that little one-eyed some bitch didn't want it. <laughs> See, but I can't stay sober, guys, because I want to. I'm not going to stay sober because I need to. I'm going to stay sober if I'll get off my butt and do certain things that would allow me to have the spiritual experience that Bill Wilson was talking about. It's amazing. It's going to be different for all of us. And we're all going to do it a little bit different. But there's a sense of urgency that we need to do. If i got one bone to pick with the treatment centers, it's that we have taken away... And I work in the industry. I'm just saying, we've taken away the urgency to finish the work quickly. Oh, you've got plenty of time. You don't. <laughs> Especially you little dope fiends that snuck in here. I'm just telling you... <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I was uh, that same weekend. That same weekend. That was on a Friday, the Friday the thirteenth, nineteen eighty-seven. I came in, and Sunday, one of the guys that, that qualified me was came up that day. He says, "Chris, can you help us answer the phones tonight?" And I'm looking at him like he's got three heads. I was like, listen, don't you remember me? Two nights ago, I picked up a desire chip. I'm the most important person in the room. No, I'm going to go to the meeting. And he said, Chris, we need somebody to help us answer the phones. Can you stay out here and answer the phones for us? This is the nut cutting time right here, folks. I don't want to. I said, we didn't ask you if you wanted to. Would you do that for us? We're a little shorthanded. 
this guy's full of it. Anybody could have answered the phone. Do you all understand that? What they wanted somebody to do was to get out. The phone rang, and I looked at him like this. I ain't kidding. God. And I looked at I folded my arms like this. And he did exactly the same. He's looking at me, and he's, he folds his arms like this. You know, it's like, okay, what do I say? Say, Louisville group. Can you do that? Oh, I forgot. Some of y'all in here. Y'all don't remember. Y'all don't know what payphones are, do you? Some of you. <laughs> Oh, ask your sponsor, they'll tell you. That phone rang like a big dog, and I answered that. I said, okay, Louisville Group. And I knew the lady on the other end of the phone. I drank with her husband. She's looking for an Alamon meeting. And I said, out. She says, it's 8 o'clock. And I said, listen, you remember me? And she's like, oh, what are you doing there? I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I got sober. <laughs> I'll meet, I'll meet you out front right after the meeting over and I'll take you to the Alamon meeting. How's that? Yeah. She was so grateful. Y'all thought, and it wasn't. I stood out there like I owned the, I owned the, took her in, introduced her to the ladies in Alamon like a big shot. I walked back up there. I mean, they created a demon. You don't understand that? I was there in that group for five years. You couldn't go, nope, don't, this, this is very important phone here. You can't, you might kill somebody if you don't know what you're doing here. I can, <laughs> Y'all understand? Listen, I'm going to say it, guys. You find a job in Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll stay. If you don't, you won't. You just, you, you got to be a part of this. And the only way you're going to be a part of this is to get up off your butt and, and volunteer and do something. I got on the cleanup committee. They said, Chris, we need some help on the cleanup committee. And I was in the food business. I thought, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And then and they informed me a couple of days later that I was... The cleanup committee. It was just me. <laughs> but they gave me a key to the place. You know? But I'll never forget the first time I cleaned that club up. I came in early and I cleaned it up, set the chairs and band set it up and everything was... Ladies came in afterwards. They come in and like, oh my God, look at this bathroom. Like, damn. You know, and I said, the lady came up there, you know, she's just a sweetheart. She said, did you clean this place? Yes, ma'am. I'll never forget her. Beautiful old, just reached around, hugged me by the neck. Thank you so much. Now, I'm days away from a suicide attempt. Y'all understand? If those people had pinched me on the cheek and said, keep coming back, I'd have died. I'm not knocking that. Keep coming back. But while you come back, do something. Get up your butt and get, get involved. I, I was uh, doing a fist step out at... Uh, Yes, I'm 30 years sober. I still do fifth steps. I still do four steps. I still work the steps myself. Oh, my God. <laughs> All you got to do is work them steps once. You're going to be a crusty, mean, bitter old person. I don't know what to <laughs> Come on. Let's get going. I'm out there doing a fifth step with a guy at the place I used to work, and I'm looking up at the detox deal, and this guy comes out, and I recognize him like a big dog. He's smoking. He smoked out of one of them bait deals. You know. All you can see is this whiff of smoke, and then I recognize his face. And I, he sees me, you know, if I can ask that, that I saw him, you know, and he goes, because <laughs> he's embarrassed, you know, he's back in treatment again. You know, he's one of our guys that we, we treated ages ago. And, and he came, I go up and see him after I do the fifth step like that, and he's all embarrassed. Said, what the? I said, buddy, I, he said, I was doing so well for so long. I says, I know it. I said, what, what happened? What do you think happened? He said, well, I, I got a divorce. You know, my wife divorced me. Thank <laughs> you.
Yeah, it's too bad. So, my, my wife divorced me too. Well, I stayed sober. Come, we talked to him about it. You know, it's just like, come on, guys, if you're doing all three parts of the program and you're in there up to your neck in the program and, and being in service to other people and sponsoring cats, guys, whatever happens, you're going to stay sober. What kind of a program do we got that only works when things are going great? How many of you guys drank and drugged when, when things were going really, really good? How many of you drank and drugged when things were going really, really bad? How many of y'all drank and drugged when it was nighttime? Okay, it's pretty evident that we're going to have to stay here until in the morning. So we don't want to trigger anybody. I, I got a, the, uh, two weeks into this deal, two weeks after coming to that deal, I've got a completed four step. My sponsor's out of town. He's not there. I would have been ready to do a fifth step. And, uh, it's between my fourth and fifth step that I had my spiritual experience. And I'm, I've got a completed four step. These guys are working me through the, I mean, it's, it's on. And, uh, I go back up to that apartment complex where I uh, tried to commit suicide, and I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck, and uh, I just sat down. I got out of the meeting. It was after a 6 o'clock meeting. We were just out, and I was still smoking back then. I sat out there and had a, had a butt and, and sat there in the back of that pickup truck and said, you know what? It just dawns on me, and I'm surrounded. I look around. There's a 7-Eleven and a stop-and-go, and my drug dealer lives in the apartment complex where I live with, with my couches, you know, and it's... <laughs> Anybody in here that thinks that drugs are drugs are drugs, listen to a fifth step from an alcoholic, and then listen to a fifth step from a crackhead. <laughs> it ain't the same. I just. <laughs> but it dawns on me. I'm sitting on that tailgate, and it dawns on me that the obsession's gone. Guys, that was 30 years ago. And I've been through some good times and some really crazy times, but not once did the obsession to drink come back to me. This is for keeps, folks. It's the absolute coolest. The 10th step promises that Bill Wilson wrote in there that we'll be placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected, is absolutely true. And that's the message that we need to be carrying, folks. You're either going to get well or you're not. And if you're not, it's something you're not doing, perhaps. And the beauty of that is that you're sitting in a room full of the finest people I know that have had experiences with God that can help you get on the same path. Because we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but guys, we just we just don't. What worked for Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob all those years ago, 83 years ago, still works today. If we if if we don't water it all down. And I gotta tell you guys, I had a sponsor named Don P, uh, a, a guy out of uh, uh, Colorado. He sponsored the guy that sponsored me, Mark Houston, for years. Both of them have passed away ages ago. But Don, one of the things he said in his last talk, he said it in subsequent talks, but in his last talk he said, uh, he said, uh, somewhere in our fellowship we stopped talking about recovery and started talking about sobriety. We started focusing on not drinking one day at a time instead of focusing on let's get well and go set the world on fire. Let's kick some ass and, and get out the... And, and, and in hindsight, looking back, that's exactly what had happened. You know, it's just, we, we, we kind of got off the rail in certain areas. We started, we got a bit cultish in ways. <coughs> 90 meetings in 90 days. Patty had a girl come up to her the other day, and this is, this is 
ages ago and came up and was, you know, she'd stayed over 60 days and one of the kids got sick and, you know, 61 days, whatever, she missed a meeting and her sponsor made her start over. (laughs) That's cultish. That's ridiculous. You know, folks, we've never had a problem getting people to come to Alcoholics Anonymous. We've had a problem getting them to stay. And that's the kind of stuff that pushes them away. That's just my opinion. You can, you can forget it if you want to. <laughs> but I prefer you don't. So i got to tell you a little story real quick. I, I uh, You know, real quick, I, I stayed working for my twin brother for, for another five years. And, and uh, at about five years sober, I moved to the hill country, and I'd, I'd uh, gotten married. And, and uh, uh, it was an opportunity to go be a tech at a treatment center. And I applied for a job out there and started doing clerical work at this hospital. And excuse me, and I've been... It's meatballs. And, um, <laughs> and they were good the second time, too. I, 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 and we had... We had uh, I started working in the industry, and I'm, you know, again, getting to watch gazillions of people get sober has been a highlight of my life. Getting to t- it's just absolutely amazing to watch the cats coming into these fellowships and these, these guys, the people that you think are never going to get sober, they, and they just they blow you away at what they do because they end up doing the same thing. And I just, 30 years ago when I got sober, and uh, uh, my sponsor said, your job trying to be sober is to stay spiritually awake. See, if you can stay spiritually awake with your ears attuned, it's what we were talking about with our buddy. If, if God will direct you. God will show you where you're supposed to be and what job you're supposed to have. This has been my experience, guys, watching the, the gazillion guys I've sponsored. and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool gig. If you can stay awake. What will block me from the sunlight of the Spirit is fear, dishonesty, resentment. All the things that are steps are, are, are lined out to do to treat. If I can continue to do that, then I stay spiritually connected. I'll wake up in the morning and I'll start scheming and scamming and all of a sudden ideas start coming. Patty and I do it all the time. We get together, have a cup of coffee, coming all across here. We're here yesterday on the plane. We're sitting there talking about a little project we were working on. Hell, by the time we the plane landed, we had a bunch of stuff figured out, stuff we'd been fighting with for a few days, and all of a sudden things started opening up. That's God's stuff. I don't have to do God by myself, folks. I don't have to do this thing called life if I can stay spiritually awake. The point I want to make is it's easy for me. The noose around my neck is that I'm 30 years sober. Yavala, you've got to do things to stay sober. But me... I I got this. (laughs) That's why Bill Wilson says we live a day at a time. We have a daily reprieve. Y'all understand that? This is what we got to do. We got to keep doing this stuff. I'm getting off a plane in um, Houston uh, a couple of months ago. And um, and this happens every once in a while. But this big old guy sitting in front of me like that. And you know how they, they try to be gentlemen? Like they'll get out of the aisle. And we're supposed to be going on down the aisle. But he backs up so the nice ladies next to him can get out. Which is chivalry to the mat. I mean, this is great. How good for him. Until you step on my feet doing it. (laughs) Quit. Just go on out. You know, hold the door for him out there. I don't know what to tell you, but stop backing up. And this guy backs up and he's stepping on my foot and says, Buddy, you're you're, you're banging me up back here. Go on. Nobody cares. Move. 
Did, did I mention he's a big guy? <clears throat> and he says, I didn't step on your... F-. Yes, you did. And I'm cussing him the whole way out. We're moving now. I got my bag and I'm eating his butt. And I got, he's, we're going up the ramp. And I said something else to him, you know, like, but basically, yeah. And I'm, he goes on and gets his stuff. I'm grinding my teeth. And I'm looking down at my phone and fixing to call Patty like that. And I'm walking. And I'm walking. I'm so distracted. And I walk into the bathroom real quick because old guys got to do that sometimes. Like every 15 minutes. And I, and I walk into this bathroom like that. And I look up and there's a fly, female flight attendant. Go, whoa, 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 whoa. I walked in the wrong bathroom. She says, excuse me? I said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. It's, I'm blind in one eye. And I... Well, <laughs> I'm not above using it when it'll help me. I don't know. What, I don't like But I backed out. But I backed out like that. And I'm walking on up to my gate like this. And I think, Chris, God, you're so distraught. This is stupid. This is nuts. And I walked up to my gate like that. And I'm looking down like that. And I look up and that guy's sitting at my gate. The guy that backed up on me. Now I'm thinking, remember, 30 years sober. I've done exactly what I would eat his ass if he did. That's not very mature. That's not a recovered man's. And I walked up to him, and I, I need to tell you, I walked up to him very slowly. <laughs> no, that, this is this is a patch deal. You don't walk up anybody really fast because they think they're fixing to be mugged. You know, like a terrorist shit. And I just like okay. I walked up to him like that. And he looked up for a minute. And I said, "Man, I am so sorry. I, I talked to you like that back there. I'm just I distracted. It's just stupid. I, I just nothing. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. I apologize." And he was laughing. Sit down. Sit down. The visit. Found out he, we had some stuff in common and just visiting. We had a great little visit. But the point I'm trying to make is I had to do what I'm supposed to be doing in order to get to a place where I'm comfortable in my own skin. When we don't do that, guys, we we get sick again. And then I start justifying when they're, they're doing it wrong and they're hurting me and I'm not... Do- and we're losing you. Guys, we're losing them by the millions out there. People that are sober, we're losing them through two things. They've stopped working the steps and prescription medication. We've got to be real careful with all that nonsense because we can't afford to lose another old timer that way. I'm grateful somebody pointed it out and I'm surrounded by a bunch of men that will hold me accountable. It's pretty cool. I'll say this and let you guys run here pretty quick. I, uh, I'm a big cyclist. We did this ride again not long ago. Everybody rides a 100-mile ride. Sooner or later, if you're a bicyclist, you do it. Some of y'all heard me talk about it on CDs, but it, it's just a rite of passage. If you're riding cycle, sooner or later, you're going to have to ride 100 miles just to say you did it. It's not fun. <laughs> Especially as you get older, you don't have any butt. What happened? What happened? Nobody told me that when you get old, you lose your butt and you start growing hair out of your ears. What? What? We did this ride one time. When I first did it, this was years and years and years ago when I first I did my first century. We were riding and we knew it was going to get cold. We all had cold weather gear on. And we were ready to go and we rode out. And anyway, we got caught by this northern coming across Texas, but we, it was way colder, way more blustier than anybody expected. But we got out there for a long distance and we couldn't get back in. 
and uh, we stopped up in Fredericksburg, Texas, and we're still about 30 miles from the house, 25 miles from from, from where we started. And uh, the people that had phones uh, were calling people to come get them, and I didn't happen to have a phone or anybody to come get me at the time. So it was one of those deals. There was like six of us that said, well, we're going to go ahead and ride on back. And I got to tell you guys, um, it was like a death ride. There was nobody racing. There was nobody. We were just going to ride. And um, the old timers, the, the guys that had been riding for a while, the strong, the athletes, the real athletes, they got in front and pulled the whole way. Usually in a peloton, you take turns. There was no taking turns. We were all exhausted. We'd eaten all the food we had, drank all the liquid we had. We just It was time to get home. We were in trouble. We were starting to sleep. Cars couldn't see us. It had already gotten dark out there. We had one of the little guys that had a big flashing light. We made fun of him all the time. We called him Firefly. You know, I mean, guys, really, we ridiculed him because he had a flashing light on his bike. Now we all have them, you know, because with the cell phones, you're going to get run over. But this, it was it. He rode in the back so that everybody, the cars coming up behind us could see. We all started doing what we could do so that we could end up with the same spot, so we could get the same results. We needed to get home safe. We'd cross those cattle guards on the hill up there and we'd fall. I fell twice in that 25-mile ride. We weren't going fast enough to get hurt, just fell. The wheels would slip out from under you. Everybody would stop. Nobody took off. Everybody stopped. Got you back on the bike, dusted you off, helped you get going. Let's go. Get in the group again and start. I'll never forget driving back into that parking lot and I looked down my little odometer my little computer cooked over 100 miles. And we're all sitting there like that and we, nobody was talking. We all put our bikes up and went in a little sports center like that, took a shower, we got in a little whirlpool and we're all looking at each other. Nobody said a word. We're just looking at each other nodding our head. Years later, I, I quit riding for a while and went back to ride and people came up there like that and they were saying, oh my God, that's Chris. Oh my God, that's Chris. He was on that ride. And somebody said, what ride are you talking about? And I remember one of the girls said, don't worry about it. You wouldn't understand. Unless you've been on that ride, no matter how well I explain it, you'll never understand what that ride was about. Unless you've been in the trench trying to help us help other alcoholics and addicts get well, you'll never understand where I'm coming from. You'll never understand why I'll push the envelope with any little knucklehead that comes along trying to get you to do what we're asking you to do so that you can have the same experience so you'll understand. Bill Wilson understood it. He understood from that very first meeting in Gate Lodge with Dr. Bob, that 15-minute meeting that he was going to attend and it turned out to be five-plus hours. All based on the same thing. That he said they understood. I needed another alcoholic as bad as that alcoholic needed me. And the two together stayed sober. That's the first, that's what they came up with. I can stay sober. By myself, I'm going to fall like a, like a ton of brick. You got to have some fellowship around you, folks, please. I'm sitting in my home group meeting at the Outpost Recovery Club up in Ingram, Texas. Y'all are all welcome. And, uh, we're sitting there 4th of July. We got a little fundraiser and I'm looking around that room and there's old guys in there that have been with us since the beginning of that club, about 20 years we've been doing that, that deal over there. And it's, it's, and I'm watching all these little new guys that are coming out of treatment, and they're in there like that. And I, I, I don't know what to tell you guys. The first time you walk into a little AA club, and you look at one of you guys that you're sponsoring, and he's back there working with a newcomer, 
I got my little buddy that I get to see out there all the time. It's just, it's the bomb. I look around the corner. I'm making coffee and I look around. He's up there at the little table and I case says, okay, now remember, where's your highlighter? Damn it. I told you to bring your highlighter. Well, we, just like I, he's eating this, eating this kid's butt just like I did him six months ago. And six months later, okay, all right, well, this is it. Listen, I've given you, we've done that little fifth step. We're ready to go. All right. You, all right, we did a, listen, you ready to do a third step prayer? That's what he was doing. And he says, I said, I'm looking back. I don't want to be seen. And look over there like that. They push the chairs back. And my little guy reaches over and grabs his little hands. We're just going to do this, okay? You don't have to memorize it. Just open the book right there. Let's do this third step prayer. Let's get started. I've given you the information on the fourth step. Let's go. And I sit there and watch this guy do a third step prayer. And they get up and they hug. They go out and smoke. (laughs) You see, I got to play a part of that. There's a big picture of Bill and Bob in our club and I get to look up there and I get to see. I'm connected to those boys because I'm doing the same thing that they were doing. I just don't want anybody to miss that. If all you're doing is sitting in the goddamn meeting, you're going to miss what we're talking about. If you can get in there and help us carry the message and participate, find that job in there, you're going to do, you're going to do wonders. We got these little guys, one of the little kids came up and uh, talking to Patty and I and, and uh, I don't know why. Nobody will ask me to sponsor him. <laughs> and I went out there 10 minutes later after we got rid of the coffee and got cleaned up and I looked out there like that. He's, y'all think I'm making this up. He's got a vape, some, he's got a vape that's like a toaster. <laughs> In fact, guys, I'm going to bring this to your attention. If you're, if you have a vape that you have to hold with two hands, it's, it's too big. <laughs> This guy's standing out there all by himself. He's puffing on this thing and just... And I walk by and says, Excuse me? And you're wondering why nobody wants to talk to you? Nobody can see you. What the hell? Hang around inside a little bit. Visit, you know? Sure enough, next meeting, I'm over there like that. He's got him a slightly smaller vape today, you know? But he's out there talking. He's out there working with a little newcomer. It'll change everything. Well, my sponsor won't let me sponsor until I'm sober five years. Don't know what to tell you. That's not what the big book said. Thank God Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob didn't listen to that crap. Guys, you've worked the steps, you've had a spiritual experience, it's time to get out there and start giving it back because that's when you're on rock solid ground. I'll end with it. We need every single one of you. We need the old timers to stay. God, I'm so blessed to know some of y'all in this room that have been around forever and ever. Thank you for continuing to come to to guide us through the through the storms that we periodically cross. It's, it's, it's an honor to know you. We, we, we absolutely need those guys. For every young person that's in this room, you, you have a home here. You are absolutely welcome. Y'all understand the words, we need you? Because Alcoholics Anonymous won't survive unless we've got some newcomers coming in and the old timers are staying. Guys, our membership in Alcoholics Anonymous has stagnated since 1993. 1993, we had 2 million people. 2018, we have 2 million people. Something's up. Something's up. We need people to stay and to help us carry this message so that we'll start growing as a fellowship again. I'm honored, absolutely honored to be a part of this. Thank you all so much for coming.